Okay, thank you guys. And let me just say too, listen, if there's, if there's anything about what I said or anything about this, this is a, you know, a fraud issue and it's, it's stirring up a lot. If anybody wants to you know, email me or talk to me, you can email me at Grimaldi at NJ. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, that was a joke. That was a joke. That I actually would welcome, at least email me, and I would, I would really welcome to talk to you and kind of go back and forth a little bit. And, you know, I, I had some really good conversations with some people after the first service and, and would, welcome, would welcome that with, uh, with any of you. All right, so we are moving through uh, the book of Daniel. And um, we've been, you know, Daniel's a really interesting book because on the one hand, um, I got to warn you guys, by the way, I've been talking with the, uh, the people who do like the live stream. And so hello, live streamers out there. I'm on strict orders. Do you see this box? There's a box here. And then there's a box here. I'm not allowed to get outside of these boxes. And if I do, I have a collar on and it's going to buzz me. And no, that's not that we may have to try that next time. But, um, but, but we've been talking about, we've been talking about uh, the book of Daniel, doing kind of verse by verse through the book of Daniel. And what's really interesting about the book of Daniel is that like half of it is history. Half of it deals with the history of uh, this thing that happened where, where the Babylonians came and they conquered, you know, the, they conquered Jerusalem and they carried off a lot of, they killed a lot of people, they enslaved a lot of people, and the best and brightest they carried off to make them work in the courts of the king. And that's what happened to Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so half of it's just dealing with that history, and we're still kind of in that history part. Then it gets, Daniel is actually one of the major prophets, which means is one of the, one of the bigger prophecy books in the Old Testament. And so you're going to see it gets into a lot about the end times, a lot about the birth of Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that as we continue to kind of move on through here. Um, but we started talking about how Babylon wants to rename you. Right? A couple of weeks ago, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they all had their, they had their names changed. And so how culture, you know, wants to rename you. And so we need, just need to be aware, like, like the culture around us, and, you know, the, the subtext here is learning to live as exiles, learning to live in Babylon, this modern iteration of Babylon. How do we remain faithful to God? And so we know that, you know, that culture wants to go after our identity, our purpose, what we live for, what our lives are all about. Last week, we, you know, there's some great, some, some, there's some great stories that are in the book of Daniel, like just fun stories. Like we had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week when they get thrown into the fiery furnace. A couple of weeks, we're going to have Daniel when he's thrown into the lion's den. Today, we've got a story about, about Nebuchadnezzar going crazy and like living out in the field for seven years and eating grass. It's a crazy story. But uh, 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 so last week, we talked about with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace, how can we stand up in a bow-down world? You know, how do, we, how do we have the strength to stand up in a way that honors and glorifies God? And so today, we're going to talk about an issue that I think is kind of the root of every issue. And how's that for an ambitious topic? But I think it's what we're going to talk about, what we're going to see today is, is kind of the root of all of our struggles with sin. And I'm talking about pride. I'm talking about pride, and we're going to see that kind of how that's fleshed out in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. But it really kind of boils down. If you strip pride down, it really can be reduced to this belief that we don't need God. And so a survey came out this week that shows, a Gallup poll, that shows that more and more people are giving up on a belief of God. That more and more people are saying that, like, we don't need God. We don't need to believe in God. We don't need to think about God. And what I, what I suggest is that Perhaps in some ways, this is a little bit of a manifestation of pride. To say that we don't need God and we're perfectly fine without Him. You see, hundreds of years ago, when we weren't scientifically developed, um, 
you were at the total mercy of the weather to grow your crops, right? And if, you, if, there, was, if there was a drought or if there was, rain, there was too much rain or whatever, you could starve, you could die, that would be it. You know, hundreds of years ago, there were no medical breakthroughs. And so if you got a cut, you could get an infection and you could die just because you got a cut. You know, if, uh, uh, if, if the average life expectancy was about 39, you know, 39 or 40, and, uh, and, and childbirth was a very dangerous thing for both mothers and for babies, and if you were going to immigrate to a new country, you said goodbye to everybody. Like, you said goodbye to your family, and it wasn't like you could, like, FaceTime them, or, you know, it wasn't like that you could send them, a, you know, a text message or an email you would probably never see, you would never see them again. And you were going to go on a journey, whether it was across land or across sea, where the odds of survival were pretty, were pretty slim. And so, so we'd say like, okay, well, back then, you know, like life was pretty fraught. Life was pretty difficult. And so people needed God. They needed the comfort that came from, from God. Well, but now, you know, we've got modern irrigation technology. So we can bring water wherever we want to bring water. We can just kind of, you know, get it into any area. So if there's a drought, we can just bring it in from somewhere else. We can bioengineer our food. We can travel to Europe in less time than it used to take to, to go from New York City to Philadelphia. You get a cut, you get an infection. Well, you got, we got antibiotics. We can just, that's not an issue. You know, the, the life expectancy has doubled. It's like 78, 79, 80 years old. Uh, Childbirth is, you know, still some dangers to it, but nothing near as, as, as fraught and as difficult as it used to be. And, uh, you know, according to Elon Musk, we're all going to be living in Mars in a couple of years. So, so, so we have completely kind of in some ways mastered our physical environment, and now we say we no longer need God. Because we've, you know, we kind of mastered things, we got our smartphones, we got it all figured out. And so we see this kind of dis- this pride on, in full display in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, remember last week we saw that Nebuchadnezzar, after he saw with his own eyes what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, he had this like come to Jesus moment, right? But it wasn't all the way there because he's just like, I declare that your God is awesome and anyone who thinks not is going to get chopped up in a million pieces and his house is going to be set on fire. So it's like, you're close, Nebuchadnezzar, but you're not all the way there, not yet. But here with what we're going to read today, this was like Nebuchadnezzar's real come to Jesus moment. This is his full-on conversion and he's like an evangelist now. So Daniel chapter 4 verses 1 to 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So he's saying, listen guys, this is God's awesomeness, God's goodness is for everyone from generation to generation. And so, so Nebuchadnezzar's issue is that he was the most powerful person like by far on the planet and accomplished a lot, and he was very prideful. And so he had this dream, right? He's warned in a dream that if you keep this up, you're going to go insane. You're going to go insane. And actually, the, the definition of you, if you really define the word insanity, it means deranged thinking that produces turmoil of the soul. And so that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And I wonder if maybe in some ways that's what we're seeing right now. Because yes, you know what? We've mastered our external world. And we said, we don't need God. God is irrelevant. God is unimportant. But I wonder, you know, we have, you know, agriculture, medicine, travel, communication, all this stuff. We don't need God. We can be our own God. We can define our own reality. And I wonder if as a result of that thinking, we're seeing more turmoil. We're seeing more turmoil of the soul like never before. 
Because, like, everybody's concerned about this. Like, I know you're, you're concerned either about yourself or maybe people in your family. I know culture is concerned about this. There's articles all the time. Like, why is it that addictions are up, anxiety is up, suicide is up, re- broken relationships are up, people are living with a lack of purpose, people are bored, people are languishing, and you wonder if maybe it stems back to pride, the turmoil of the soul that happens when we forget God. And so we're going to walk through this, this really fun, cool, interesting story with Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and there's a couple things that we can learn from it. So number one, the first point is this. Turmoil comes when we're self-sufficient instead of God-sufficient. So turmoil or insanity or whatever we want to call it comes when we're self-sufficient instead of God-sufficient. So Daniel 4.4 says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. So it all starts, like Nebuchadnezzar, like he's good. He's content. He's, he's prosperous. His money doesn't jingle, jingle, it folds. <laughs> all right, never mind. Some of you were like, what is he talking about? Others are just like, fill your too old. Stop it. Okay. So, but he's like, everything is all good. You know, he's content. He's prosperous. He's like, it's all, you know. And maybe you might say, okay, Phil, that's good. You need to, you need to preach that. You know, you need to let everybody know. Like, you need God. Don't be self-sufficient. You know, but, but that doesn't apply to me. Because I'm in church, and I'm here, and, you know, I'm serving in the church, and it's all good. But the reality is this affects every single one of us. We all struggle with this. I struggle with this. And the way, like, there's this, there's this pull towards self-sufficiency. And I think it goes all the way back to the, you know, the, the, our original sin. And it may even go further back than that. Because you had Satan, when he rebelled, he wanted his throne to be higher than God's. And so I think we all have this thing where we, we don't want it to be dependent on God. We want to be self-sufficient, and I think the way that it shows up in our lives is through our prayerlessness, because the reality is, is when things are hard, when things are difficulty, are difficult, we pray more. You know what I mean? Like when we're being thrown into the fiery furnace, we're like, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. I saw, I've seen this in the history of our church. I remember, you know, after 9-11, our church was a few years old. And churches all over the country for like a couple of months after 9-11 were packed, were full. People were like, we need God, we need God's help. But then after a couple of weeks, a couple of months, that just kind of dissipated. Same thing happened with the pandemic. You know, the churches weren't full, but every church had like thousands of people watching their live streams, you know, and it's just like all of a sudden people are like, whoa, what's going on? This audience is huge. This is crazy. But then after a little bit of, you know, time, it kind of, it kind of dissipated, and we do that in our life. And so a huge test for us is how God-dependent are we when everything's going great? When you're content, when you're prosperous, do you say like, God, I still need you. God, I still rely on you. And, and you know what? There are some things that we do as a church where we, we're trying to kind of keep this front and center because we realize that as individuals, but also as a church, we have this tendency to, to drift to self-sufficiency. And so a couple things that we've kind of put on our calendar to kind of help us to remind us that we need God. One of them is 21 days of prayer. And so if you've been around for a while, you know we do 21 days of prayer. We do it twice a year. We're going to start it. We do it at the beginning of the fall, like just as we're getting ready to launch the school year. So the, so the last Sunday, in, the last week in August and the first two weeks of September is going to be 21 days of prayer. And we'll gather together and we'll pray and we'll just say, God, we want to see you heal people. We want to see people get saved. We want to see people baptized. God, we want to see you move and work. And so we know that we're dependent upon you. So God, we're going to cry out to you because we know that if it's up to us, it isn't going to happen. But Lord, if you do it, God, if you're involved, then it's going to happen. 
And so we do that at the beginning of the fall. We do that also at the beginning of the year. We, add, we, add 21 days of, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. So we push the plate away a little bit and kind of figure out. But again, it's the same thing. It's say, God, we're coming into this new year. And even if we're content and prosperous and everything's good in our palace, we say, God, we're dependent upon you. The other thing that we do that I think is good for us, like good for the soul of our church, is that we usually, like three or four times a year, we have Holy Spirit nights where we just come and we worship God because we recognize that there's a lot of life change that happens in this church. And I'm just so blessed when I hear your stories and I hear how God is working in your life and how your life has changed. I know that it it doesn't honestly have a lot to do with my preaching. It doesn't have a lot to do with the worship, you know, the talent of the musicians. What it has to do with is the fact that it's somewhere, you know, somewhere along the line, you encountered the presence of God. And it was the presence of God that changed you. And so we realize that we're, like, we're dependent upon Him. We can't do this on our own. Like, we need God to show up. And if He doesn't show up, then you know what? Our church meeting and gathering isn't going to do anybody any good. And the reality is it could cause some harm. And so, and so we want to continue. We want to continue to lean in and rely on God. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. And the dream that he has is there's this great big tree. And this tree is like huge. It covers, you can see it like wherever you are in the earth, you can see this tree. And so everyone who lives on the earth, they're eating the fruit off of this tree. But then all of a sudden, this angel comes down and cuts down the tree. And there's just a, there's just a stump. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he's freaked out by it, and his astrologers, they can't interpret it. They don't know what it's all about. Nebuchadnezzar is hoping this has to do with his enemies, you know, like that king over there who I don't like, maybe it's him. And, uh, and so, of course, he, you know, he calls Daniel, and Daniel is able to interpret this dream. And so Daniel, being very brave, you know, tells the king something he doesn't want to hear. Starting at verse 22, he says, hey, your majesty, I got some news for you, um, That tree that you saw, you're that tree. That tree is you. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So the second point is this. Turmoil comes when we give ourselves the credit instead of thanking God. Now, you see, the problem is that Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he he said, look at everything that I've done. Look at everything that I've accomplished. And now none of you are the most powerful people on the earth, but we all have a tendency to do that. Right? We all have a tendency to, to, to look at what we've accomplished. Well, look at the education. Look at the business we built. Look at my family. Look at this. Look at that. Look at what I've done. But what 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, rejoice always, right? pray continually, like we talked about in the first point, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of people say, hey, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Well, this tells us, here's like a big, big, pretty big deal. God's will is that you give thanks all the time. 
And the reason it's good for you to give thanks all the time is it keeps your heart postured in the right way. It keeps your heart pointing in the right way because you realize how dependent you are on God. You realize that every good and perfect gift that you have comes from Him. You realize that in Him you live and move and have your being. So you say, dear God, thank you for the rain right now that's watering the earth because that's from your hand. Thank you for the sun that's hitting my face right now because that's from your hand. Thank you, God, for this meal that I have in front of me because I'm able to eat because of your graciousness. Thank you, God, for the blessings that I'm experiencing. Thank you, God, that I'm content and prosperous in my palace. But also thank you, God, for this trial and this difficulty because I know that you're always at work and I know, God, that I'm going to learn things and I'm going to grow. So, God, I thank you in all circumstances. And so, you know what? You might say, well, well Phil, that's great. But you know what? I, I have accomplished a lot of my life. I've done a lot of my life. And I think that I deserve some of the credit. But you see, what we need to realize, though, is, uh, is that, yes, you know, yes, there are things that you did and you didn't give up and you were faithful and you worked hard and all of that. But if, you didn't, if God didn't give you the intelligence, you couldn't have gotten that degree. If God didn't give you the, like, the, the health that you've enjoyed, you wouldn't have been able to start that business. Right? If, if God didn't put, like, the breath in your lungs right now, you wouldn't, like, every, every good and perfect gift comes from Him. The Bible says, in Him we live and move and have our being. And I remember reading years ago that scientists, they don't really know, like, how an atom is held together. They, they kind of figured everything out, but they're like, we don't know what holds, why atoms don't just fly apart. Well, maybe the reason you're not flying apart is that God is the one who's holding you together. Right? That, that we just, and we give thanks in all circumstances, and it reminds us of that, whether things are good or whether things are bad. It says this in 1 Corinthians 4 7. What are you so puffed up about? This is the Living Bible. I like the way they word it. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you're so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? And so, continuing on, verse 26. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Can I just kind of say as an aside, thank God for stumps. All right, listen, how many of you guys like had a period or a time in your life where God allowed you to be, to be like, you know, kind of drilled down to a stump? But you see, the thing is, is there's a stump. And what it means if there's a stump, it means that there's a possibility of a tree in the future. Right? And so maybe even some of you right now, you're in a place where you feel that you've been grind down, you've been ground down to a stump. But I want to tell you, though, you're still a stump, which means you keep your eyes on Jesus, you keep trusting him, he's going to restore the tree. All right? That there, there never is, it's never done. My wife and I, it's funny, you know, I, I haven't talked about stumps in church in quite a while. You know what my wife and I did yesterday? We, had this, we have this oak tree that decided to create a new baby oak tree. We had this piece of a fence, and, and we couldn't get at it, and so it was growing. So we dug out a tree yesterday down to the stump. And I got to tell you, my wife and I are doing it together, and it's hot. And, you know, and I never, I'm watching YouTube videos, like how do you dig out a stump. And, and I'm saying, I was like, I don't know. I think this goes down too deep. I don't know if we can do it. And Norma's like, no, we can do it. Let's keep trying. So we're trying different angles. And so we got to the point, like I had to take the stump. I had to get it all the way out, or else the tree's just, it's going to grow back eventually. And so like three hours later, my wife went in to get me, you know, it was, it was hot, it was hard to get me an iced coffee, and I pulled out the stump, and I was standing in the backyard like, Rah! 
oh, you know, holding the stump over my head. Because if you pull the stump out, there's no tree. But thank God he always leaves a stump. And so he says, verse 27, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. And so the last point from this is, is this, the third point. Turmoil comes when we think we know best instead of acknowledging that heaven rules. See, we think we're self-sufficient. We think we've accomplished so much. So here's the third one. We think we rule. We think that we're in charge. But the truth is, we're not in charge. Heaven is in charge. God is in charge. God is in control. God is the one who's on the throne. God is the one who calls, reveals the end from the beginning. God is the one who's in control. And I think there's an arrogance in our society. And there's an arrogance in our world. And we need to be on guard against it. And it's this arrogance that says that we think we know more than God. See, we see what the Bible says about life. We see what the Bible says about priorities. We see what the Bible says about truth, what the Bible says about relationships. But we say, well, we know better. This was written a very long time ago, and we're smarter now. And that was to an outdated, it's kind of outdated, archaic, you know, very primitive society. And so we know better. And I just, I wonder, I really wonder if there's a part, like, well, there's so much that's going on in our world right now. I don't know if I've ever seen like so much happen. I've seen conflicts that have happened, but they were kind of isolated, you know? Like I remember the Iran-Contra deal and, you know, when I was a teenager and 9-11 and other, you know, things. But you look now and you're just like, you see there was this global pandemic like we've never had. And, and then there was this, this racial reckoning that was going on, this, 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 this hard, painful thing that we've got to deal with, is, you know, all over the Western world. And, and then, you know, we've got uh, inflation and we've got this, this global instability with Ukraine. And, you know, and now we've got increased violence. And we just kind of see how, how our, our country is growing further and further apart. There's a part of me that wonders if maybe like what's happening right now in kind of a macro way is that we are in a lot of ways like God is allowing us to be ground down to a stump so that we could kind of get our eyes off of ourselves and say like, God, we, God we, we need to acknowledge that you're in charge. We need to acknowledge that you rule and that you reign. And I think we're at a place right now where what we, what we desperately need to see is a fresh move of God. I think we're, you know, listen, there's nothing, like what we're dealing with, there's not some peace accord that's going to fix it. There's not some new president or old president or whatever that's going to make a difference. There's not gaining control, losing control. There's, no, you know, the, the Fed isn't going to be able to do it. I think what we need is we need a visitation of God like we haven't had in years. And, and rather than saying, God, we need you to, to visit the people out there, we need to have the mindset that says, God, start with us. God, we need a fresh touch. Show us where pride is happening in our life. Show us where self-sufficiency is happening in our life. Did you notice how, how, how what, what Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, that his pride was connected to him not caring about the poor and not caring about injustice? Show us, God, about ways that we're like, you know, fat and prosperous and, and content in our palaces and we're turning a blind eye to the poor. God, make us uncomfortable. Start with us, right? That, that revival starts with God's church. It's not like, hey, fix the people out there. It's no, God, fix us. God, fix me. And it says this in Isaiah 66, verse 2. It says, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. And there's another translation that says, These are the ones I highly esteem. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And wouldn't it be great? I tell you what, God loves all of us. But boy, 
be so awesome to know that like God favors you, that God esteems you. And this tells us who it is that he esteems. It's someone who says, God, you made all things. God, you have the authority. God, you know best. I don't know best. God, you know best. My culture doesn't know best. God, you know best. So I will tremble at your word because your word is full of grace and truth. And by your word, everything was created and everything was established. That's who God esteems. And so how do we get our sanity restored? Let me just read through the end of this narrative here, uh, starting at verse 28. It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, so he got this warning from Daniel, and he just forgot about it. So twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, probably looking out at the, you know, the, the, the hanging gardens of Babylon as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So that was Nebuchadnezzar who had done that. He's probably looking out at the hanging gardens of Babylon. He said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone who wishes. So, hey, here's what's going to happen, Nebuchadnezzar. You're about to lose your mind. You're about to, you're going to go live in a field and eat grass like a cow for seven years. Like king, the most powerful person in the whole world. That's what's going to happen. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And that, I tell you, it's such a cool story. I don't even have to preach too much on that. Just read it. It kind of speaks for itself. But a couple things just to, just to kind of bring this home. How do we see turmoil decrease in our life? And so I think one thing is, is we exalt the king of heaven. Exalt the king of heaven. And let me talk about worship for a moment, right? I, I want to encourage you. Like if you want turmoil, I know there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of soul sickness that's going on. And how do we see that decrease in our life? How do we see the peace that passes all understanding gain more of a foothold in our life? And I think the more you worship, the more peace you're going to experience. And I want to encourage you to like worship God like you've never worshiped him before. Like when you're in the car, put worship music on. When you're going for a walk, you know, take your AirPods and listen to worship music or just, just worship God from your heart as you're seeing nature. If you're sitting on the beach and you're watching the waves roll in, like worship God. And when we gather together, you know, listen, summer has started, and so we're going to have a little more elbow room, you know, in the church. And let's use that to worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Like, don't be afraid to get your body into it. Right? Don't be afraid to say, you know, I don't worry. I'm just not going to sit here and just kind of like look at the, with the truth of the universe. Like, seriously, like the universe knows that like worshiping God is what it's all about. And so like all of nature worships God, worship God, angels and, you know, powers worship God. And, and so when we worship God, we're aligned with the truth of the universe. And I think we get recalibrated when we're worshiping God. I think the more time we worship God, the less turmoil and the more peace we're going to have in our hearts. But the more we enter in with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, I think the more of that we're going to experience, the more of that we're we're going we're gonna to receive. The second thing is this, and this, I'll end with this, is very simply, walk in humility. Walk in humility. Listen, one of the dominant ideologies in our culture right now, and it's interesting, you know, like I, I like to read a lot about culture. I really, it's kind of like, like what are the philosophical trends and bents and why are we the way that we are and what's really going on? And, and so this, actually talking about culture, this series has given me an opportunity to talk about some things that I don't normally get a chance to talk about. But one of the dominant ideologies in our culture right now is expressive individualism. And what expressive individualism is, is it's the belief that the most important thing, like the whole purpose of your existence, is that you discover and express your authentic self. And that you're aware of your deepest desires and you're in touch with them and you put out your deepest desires into the world and, and that's really what life is all about. Live your life according to, you know, to, to the, the unique individual that you are. And so this is the dominant theology, you know, the dominant ideology that we have. And, and this is what you're seeing, you know, people on, on Instagram and TikTok and everywhere else, like trying to, let me express myself, let me put my true self out there. And I wonder, though, I wonder if there's a connection between expressive individualism and a lot of the anxiety and mental health issues that we're experiencing. Because the more, listen, I think humility is, it's not thinking less of yourself, Humility is thinking of yourself less. And I think that, listen, the reality is, you know, we kind of get the cart before the horse. If we focus on Jesus, and we don't think about ourselves, but we think about Him, then you know what? Your true self is going to emerge. But your true self, your true self that's made in His image and that's being restored, your true self that's being conformed to the image of Jesus, it's going to come out not because you're thinking more about yourself, but because you're thinking more about Jesus. And as you think more about Jesus, the kind of a byproduct of that is who he created you to be is going to be more and more on display. And I think that the more we think about, let me get in touch, let me go inward, and let me get all, you know, really get into my soul, and what do I, like, I just, I, I just don't think the answers are found looking here. I think the answers are found looking there. And I think the more that we look to Him, the more we walk in humility, walk dependent upon Him, the more we're going to experience less turmoil and more peace. And so let's all stand together. Let's stand together. And I just want to pray for us that, that right now that, that God would just come and, and that He'd restore sanity. That He would help us to just get a glimpse of, of who He is and, and, and His heart for us. That he would increase and we would decrease. And so, Lord God, right now, God, we just, we, we fix our eyes on you. And Lord, like Nebuchadnezzar says, God, we want, to, we want to extol the God of heaven. And God, we just want to acknowledge, God, that we are completely dependent upon you. We want to acknowledge, God, that, that every, every good thing we have is from your hand. 
And Lord, this, this idea that we can live depend, independently of you and kind of be our own gods, Lord, it's an illusion. It's not true. And God, we acknowledge that you rule and reign, that you are the one who is in charge. And so, God, we worship you. God, we fix our eyes on you. And Lord, I pray right now that as we fix our eyes on you, as we extol you, as we worship you, as we lift you up, God, I pray that turmoil would decrease right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that spirits of fear and anxiety would go right now. That, God, that your perfect love would cast out fear. And, Lord, I just pray, I just have a sense that even right now, some of you who are just, you're living, you've been living in a little bit of turmoil, maybe the events that are happening all around us, it's very unsettling, a very unsettling time. And you've been aware of it, and there's been increased anxiety and fear, but right now, Jesus is saying to you, peace be still. And so just receive his peace right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Receive it. Receive it. More Holy Spirit, come. Bless your presence, O God. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think right now, God is just giving you a taste. And he's saying, I have more for you. I have more for you. The more you dwell on me, the more you center your life on me, the more you seek me, the more you let your life line up with my word. This is just the beginning. You can have more of this. And it'll go on for all eternity. And so just receive. It's almost like an invitation from the Lord. But what he says is, you know, I have more for you. And if, you're, if you have not yet given your life to Jesus, see everything we're talking about, about depending upon him and not walking pride and, you know, realizing that he gives all the good gifts, it all really starts with accepting the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us. And so if you're ready to do that, if you're ready to surrender your life to him, I want to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it quietly in your heart. God will hear. But the the exact words aren't important. It's more the posture of the heart. But it's something like, like, dear God, I need you. I need you in my life. And I believe that you're the Son of God. That you died on the cross in my place. And that you rose from the dead. And that you're here right now. So I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. I know I can't earn it. And from here on out, I'm going to live with you as the Lord of my life. You're in charge of the universe. And I want you to be in charge of my life. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. That on your, on your connection card, you can check off that you decided to follow Jesus or you can text follow to this number. 
and we'll send you some stuff in the mail that'll be really helpful. There's some booklets and different things that will kind of help you out. All right, so let's have, we're going to pass the offering baskets. It's underneath, right? You guys know the drill, maybe you, some of you guys. So you just like look under your seat, pass it this way, and uh, we'll get some ushers to kind of help as there's a few, you know, more gaps than there usually are here. But uh, we'll pass that along. We're going to have the prayer team come up because we're going to receive, we're going to open up for a time of ministry. And there's some specific words that the prayer team received when they just like, what is it that God wants to do in people's lives? And uh, just a sense of, of someone, you've, you've been dealing with this like weight on your shoulders. It's almost like a spiritual weight, but it's causing physical pain. And, uh, and God wants to set you free from this spiritual weight, whatever that might be. But you've got like pain in your shoulders. Uh, there's a, just a mother who's, you came here this morning really concerned about your son, worry, really concerned about the direction that he's walking in, and that God wants, to give you some, God wants to give you some peace and maybe even some understanding as you move forward. A grandmother who's been, you've been praying for your grandchildren, and the Lord wants you to know that he, he, he hears your cry and uh, wants to encourage you this morning. Someone who has pain in their lower back going down to their hips. Someone who's having trouble sleeping uh, and you just really wiped out during the day. Some things, feeling that God wants to heal. Love to, you know, pray for, I don't know if Mark and Eric want to get some prayer, pray for you in this next journey that God has for you. But, uh, uh, and also I would just say that, that, you know, for any of us of just kind of getting to that place of, of walking in humility and walking with our eyes on Jesus in a greater and deeper way, seeing the turmoil decrease in our life, we would love to pray for you. So God, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you, God, for how you speak and how you move. And Lord, just pray that you'd be with us and help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, that we would glorify you and know you better. I pray that you'd be with our country, God, with all the turmoil and all the stuff that's going on. God, we look to you to be the, you're the Prince of Peace. We pray that you bring peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One other thing, guys. So we're starting step three of the growth track in about five or ten minutes. It's the final growth track class before the summer comes, and we won't resume it again until September. So for those of you who are looking to do step three, come into the Team Vineyard room right now, and we'll see you in a couple of minutes. All right? God bless you, and have a great week.